The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. If you have not already, let me invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to Ruth, Ruth and chapter 3 in the Old Testament, and you'll find that on page 223 of your pew Bible, and it's good to take the Bible and open with us as we both read and then sit under God's Word this morning. I hope you've been enjoying Ruth thus far. Uh, I, I certainly have enjoyed studying it, enjoyed preaching it. Ruth is oftentimes called the best short story in the Bible, uh, the best short story in all the Bible. And we've been seeing about why that's the case. It's full of drama and it's full of wonderful characters. Uh, maybe the book of Ruth is uh, very impactful to you through the lens of Naomi. Uh, you remember Naomi, the, the woman who loses her husband and her two sons after going away from the promised land and then coming back seemingly empty. Maybe the book of Ruth uh, helps you through the lens of Naomi to see that God is a God of compassion who, who fills us when we are empty and who comforts us in our sorrows. Uh, maybe you read the book of Ruth through the lens of Ruth herself. Uh, that foreign girl who comes to trust in God and experience the goodness of his grace and learns to live in faithfulness. Maybe you read it through her eyes. Uh, but last week we were introduced to another major character in the story of Ruth, and that's this man Boaz. And uh, I think oftentimes uh, men especially read the book of Ruth and try to put themselves in Boaz's shoes and understand what in the world is going on if I'm Boaz. Well, we'll see more of that this morning. But one of the things mostly that I want us to see is that this short story of Ruth that is uh, tucked neatly between Judges and 1 Samuel is such an important story in the big story of all the Bible to tell the unfolding narrative of God's salvation coming into the world and revealing Jesus Christ. I really hope that as we move towards the conclusion and then spend Christmas Eve in the genealogy of David, that we will really be able to appreciate what God is doing in telling us the story of Ruth. So we'll see that and more this morning. But first, let us pray and ask God's blessing upon his word this morning. Our Father, we come to you, we come to you because you are our God, you are the creator of all the ends of the earth and everything that is, and you have ever lived eternally, and Lord, we would not know you by anything other than just creator if you didn't speak to us. But Lord, that's exactly what the Bible is. It is your word to us, revealing yourself and ultimately your Son, the Lord Jesus, to us as Savior and Lord and King. Lord, as your people, we pray that we would hear what you would speak to us this morning, that we would hear your divine word to us in the Scriptures in Ruth, and Lord, you would open our hearts to receive it, that you would illuminate our minds to understand it, and that you would give us ears to hear today all that you would say to us, and so, Lord, for everyone, we pray that you would speak powerfully to us now. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. And now hear God's word from Ruth in chapter 3. This is the word of God. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? 
Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See who is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And may he write its eternal truth upon our hearts today. And uh, you've got an outline there in your bulletin that will help you make your way through Ruth in chapter 3. And uh, just maybe a few introductory comments here. Let me just acknowledge the fact that without question, Chapter 3 is the most difficult of the story of Ruth. Uh, Chapter 3, as you start to read it and you begin to see some things, it looks like some very dangerous turns are going to come upon Ruth in the story of this young woman. It seems like a terrible wrong turn is made according to Naomi's counsel to Ruth, her daughter-in-law. The consequences of which counsel could really be disastrous upon them. Uh, But set against the challenging aspects of this text, uh, there is also a very helpful word to us because for as much as this chapter is really filled with, let it be said, some moral ambiguities, there is also a really clear word to us that we as the people of God so oftentimes want to take matters into our own hands and govern our own lives by our own wills and run ahead of God's providence. We say, Naomi, 
trying to do that, to take control of our own life and manipulate things. But we also find that that is not a way to live as a faithful follower, but we must learn to trust God and to trust His timing and His circumstances. And so for this chapter, as we navigate through the difficulties, uh, we will find these lessons and hopefully see together the glories of the gospel of God's grace in the face of Jesus, even in this really challenging chapter. And you'll notice that the chapter follows the pattern of the setting sun and the darkness of night and then the rising of the sun again. You see it through these three parts. First of all, in the first five verses, you see Naomi, the mother, speaking to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and they've come up with a plan, and the plan is being hatched as the sun is going down. And then in the main part of the chapter, in verses 6 through 13, you see Ruth moving through the darkness and executing Naomi's plan during the midnight hour. And uh, the darkness of the night is intended to accompany the questionable nature of the activity that happens there. And then finally, in verses 14 through 18, the sun comes up again and we're relieved from the anxiety of what happens at night. And with the rising sun comes a new day of God's mercy, both for Ruth and for Boaz and for Naomi. Now, the reason why it's important to notice the pattern of moving from light to darkness back to light is because the story of Ruth is being told with really masterful skill. A good Hebrew storyteller here. We are supposed to feel the building drama that is adding on to this story here as we move towards the edge of our seats wondering what's going to happen to Ruth and what's going to happen to Boaz. We know the uncertainty of what Naomi's plans are and the tension builds and it's filled with both moral and spiritual alarm and we're not so sure about what's happening here. And then the sun comes up again and with it relief for Ruth and Boaz and really all of us. So what's happening here? And then at the end, what is this saying to all of us? Well, let's first of all see what happens As the sun is beginning to set in the first five verses, we find that Naomi and Ruth have made their way back to Bethlehem. And at the end of chapter two, Ruth has been gleaning in Boaz's field, meaning she's been gathering up grain for herself and for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And then as chapter three opens, the harvest is over and... uh, The harvest season has given way, reaping, giving way to winnowing. And so it's likely been several months that Naomi has been sending Ruth back to Boaz's field day after day and back to the field of the man who really stands unique in Bethlehem to be someone who can deliver Naomi and Ruth from their difficult circumstances, their personal distress, their financial distress, their social distress. We'll see more about that in just a moment here. But it was Naomi's keen eye for matchmaking. Do you remember that from chapter 2? A keen mother-in-law who wants to see Ruth keep going back to Boaz's field to make sure that their needs are met, both so they can eat, but also maybe perhaps so their future needs are met as well. Maybe in a marriage between Boaz and Ruth. Naomi has big things on her mind. Look to what she says to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, in verse 1. She says, My daughter... Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well for you? Ruth, I want you to rest. I want you to have rest. And when Naomi uses this word rest, it means more than just 
stopping from work because Ruth has been going out to glean in the fields all these different days. It means more than just rest from physical labor. Naomi wants Ruth to experience rest from her personal condition. Naomi wants Ruth to have security and safety. She wants peace to come upon her house, and she knows that Boaz is a man who can uniquely provide that, and she subtly asks the question that she already knows the answer to. Does your mother do that? Asking a question that she already knows the answer to, she asks in verse 2, Ruth, isn't Boaz our relative? Of course he is. She is the one who said so back in chapter 2, verse 20. Back in chapter 2, verse 20, she said to Ruth, the man is a close relative of ours. She already knows the answer is yes. But the point here is that Naomi knows that Boaz is in a unique position to be able to help them because he is what is called in Israel a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer for their family. Somebody who can, in one sense, replace the deceased husband of Ruth. Now, you can never replace a loved one, of course, but when it comes to the, the financial transaction, the physical property, the family, and the family name, Boaz is a relative of Elimelech, and therefore Elimelech's son, who was Ruth's husband, and if Ruth can marry somebody else of the family, it means that the family line can continue, and family lineage is everything in the ancient Near East. It means that the land that belongs to the family can stay in the family's name, and it means that all of their inheritance can stay still be theirs but it won't be if this family isn't provided for with the continuance of their name and so everything is at risk for Naomi and Ruth which is why Naomi is so set on seeing their family redeemed and Boaz can do it Naomi wants Ruth to find rest she wants it for herself to be sure but it's very important to read Naomi's Good intentions. She means well. The plans that she comes up with, not so solid. But her intentions are clear. But we need to see her good intentions because if we don't, it will be hard to understand what she's doing and it will be even harder to forgive her scheming. Because Naomi, this scheming and conniving and matchmaking mother-in-law, takes her plan to this new level. She wants Boaz to meet Ruth at the threshing floor at night. In verse 3 and 4, she lays out exactly what Ruth should do to get Boaz's attention. And I want you to look again at the details of that text and read them through one more time. This is Naomi's big plan. Now, some people, they read that. And they take it and run way too far with what Naomi is suggesting to Ruth. Some people go so far as to suggest that Naomi is literally encouraging Ruth to seduce Boaz. They read verse 3 and the direction to wash, anoint yourself, and put your cloak on. They read it in this very sultry way. And while it is obvious that Naomi is telling Ruth, go take a shower, right? Because you've been working in the fields. You've been working the harvest. It's, try to, it's time to clean up. She's been working in the fields probably for a couple months. It's more than that, actually, because it's more likely the case that when Ruth came back and when Naomi came back from Moab, 
that because they were both widows, it would have been the natural practice to wear clothing that represented the fact that they were a widow. They were wearing garments of mourning. They were wearing clothes that visibly communicated to anyone who looked upon them that they were in mourning for the loss of their husbands. And what Naomi is saying to Ruth is that she is saying, Ruth, remove the garment of your mourning and dress normally again. No longer mourn for my dead son and your dead husband. Naomi is telling Ruth to dress in a way that communicates that her season of mourning is over. So we shouldn't take that too far. We should see it culturally for what it is. But her idea for what she should do once she takes off the clothing of mourning and dresses normally again is that Naomi's plan for her daughter-in-law is actually exceptionally dangerous. Do you remember back in chapter 2... Look again in verse 9 and verse 22, in chapter 2, verse 9, verse 22. Ruth is offered Boaz's field and the protection of his workers because Ruth, as a single young woman, was a target for assault. Someone who didn't have protection was at risk. It was dangerous for a young woman to wander around by herself, even more so at night Which is exactly when Naomi wants Ruth, her single, young, vulnerable daughter-in-law, to go out wandering in the night to the threshing floor. And you add to the detail that she's going out at night where she is going, which makes it even more difficult because the threshing floor was known in Israel as the location where the male workers, they would work all day. And instead of going back home, they would just sleep on the threshing floor so they could wake up in the morning and get right back to work. And it was commonly known that the threshing floor was the epicenter of prostitution in Israel. This is where the ladies of the night would visit the threshing floor and the male workers. In fact, Hosea 9 verse 1 tells us that this was the most frequent reality at the threshing floor. Now, maybe you heard the saying or you were told or maybe you've turned around and used it on other people. Nothing good happens after midnight. Okay? If you want to apply that principle to this chapter, you could see the risks. Now, this is difficult to read, and we wonder, what in the world is Naomi doing, and why would she do this? Now, we could say many things, but suffice it to say, God doesn't need Naomi's help. And God doesn't need your help in accomplishing his purposes. And it oftentimes puts us in places of great danger when we try to run ahead of his providence and take things into our own hands. And that's exactly what's happening here. And for now, the sun is going down and Ruth seems resolute to obey her mother-in-law as this scene closes with Ruth saying, all that you say I will do in verse 5. Secondly, the midnight hour, the sun is down Ruth is watching Boaz, she's keeping an eye on him as he eats and drinks and then throws himself down to sleep on the threshing floor. She follows the advice. She does everything that Naomi says. She uncovers his feet, which is intended to make him stir in the middle of the night as he gets cold. And that's exactly what happens. And everything seems to be going according to plan until it doesn't. And maybe thankfully so. Because as Boaz is stirred in the middle of the night, when he sees a young woman lying at his feet, He asks the question, 
Who are you? Who are you? Now, maybe you can picture Boaz, right? He's had a full day. He's had a full night. He's been alerted in the middle of the night. He's wiping his eyes, the drool from his chin. He doesn't have a clue what's going on. There's this strange woman lying at his feet. He might not be sure of what's happening, but you and I can be sure of this, that Boaz is presented in the Bible to us as a man of character, as a godly man of integrity. Because Naomi told Ruth, Ruth, go present yourself to Boaz and, well, see what happens. Which is not necessarily good advice, but when Boaz sees Ruth, Boaz looks upon Ruth not as an object. Isn't that important? Boaz looks at Ruth not as an object that exists only for him. He sees a person. He sees a person that has dignity. Boaz speaks to her. That is very important. And Ruth speaks back to him. And here is the center of this chapter. When Ruth speaks to Boaz in verse 9, she says this. In response to the question, who are you? She says, I'm Ruth. Verse 9, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And that wasn't in the script, was it, that Naomi gave to Ruth? She wasn't supposed to say anything. She was just supposed to go and do and see what happened. But it's clear that Ruth seems to have a better sense of moral instinct than Naomi. What does it mean when Ruth says to Boaz in verse 9, spread your wings over me? Well, we've heard it already, actually. If you look back in chapter 2 and verse 12, do you remember when Ruth first meets Boaz out in Boaz's field, Boaz had spoken of the knowledge that he had of Ruth's story. He's heard where she's been and what she's been through and how it says that she had come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. Boaz has heard and known that Ruth has come to trust in the God of Israel. This this language of spreading your wings over me and taking refuge under the wings of the Lord is language used in the Old Testament to picture the covenant relationship between God and his people. In fact, uh, Ezekiel 16 gives this image. It also can be translated as God spreading the corner of his garment over Israel. Whether it's a picture of spreading of the wings and taking refuge there or taking a corner of the garment and spreading it over to you, it's a picture of a covenant relationship, oftentimes used in the covenant relationship of marriage where God is pictured as a husband to Israel, his bride. It it figures a relationship of protection and provision and care and guidance. Ruth is saying to Boaz, will you receive me? Will you come into a relationship with me? May this be true of you for me. She says, spread your wings over me. Now, we don't talk like this, right? This is not courtship language that anybody uses today, but it's deeply significant. Do you know what she's asking for? She's saying to Boaz, who is a man of character and righteousness, she's saying, Boaz, Will you be the instrument of God's mercy in my life? 
Will you be the means through which God will shelter me and comfort me and protect me? She wants Boaz to be the instrument of blessing and covenant-keeping love to her as he fulfills his obligations as her kinsman redeemer. The Lord had blessed Ruth and blessed her with kindness and blessed her with favor and the forgiveness of her sins. Ruth has been welcomed into the covenant of grace and now Ruth says to Boaz, bless me in the shelter of the covenant of marriage. She's proposing to Boaz, more or less. Redeem me. Now, That's really something to wake up to in the middle of the night, isn't it? Men, especially. It's this tense moment, and Ruth has put herself in this incredible vulnerable position. She she puts herself out there saying, Boaz, redeem me in my life. Shelter me in the covenant of grace. And think of what could have happened. I mean, think of any number of things that could have happened. Boaz could have taken advantage of her. He could have shamed her. He could have woken up, recognized her, and said, Oh, there's that Moabite. Aren't you behaving just like Moabites do? Get away from me, filth. He could have said any number of things to her to wound Ruth, but in a picture of kindness and grace and mercy, he blesses her. He says to her, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. And it's obvious that Boaz has been thinking all of these things already because he already knows everything that Ruth has asked. He knows that he is a redeemer for their family. He knows all of that. He's prepared to do it, but he's such a righteous man. He's such an upstanding man that he acknowledges that technically he's not first in line for that obligation when he says, there is a redeemer that is nearer than I in verse 12, meaning... I'm not the closest relative in the line of kinsman redeemer to do this for you. Though I would want to and though I desire to, it's not my place. Boaz wants to do what Ruth is asking for, but because he is a man of godly character, he resolves to settle the matter rather than taking it into his own hands and running ahead of God's purposes. But not before he swears this promise in verse 13. Look at it in verse 13. He says, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, Ruth, I will redeem you as the Lord lives. He's swearing an oath, isn't he? By God's name. Because the ever-living God who can never die, Boaz takes that God's name and says, I will do what you ask. I will redeem you. Now the sun is coming up and Starting in verse 14 through 18, we see when the morning comes, Boaz doesn't want any shame or reproach to come upon Ruth, which is why she leaves so early, so that people don't make assumptions about what's happened between the two of them. And it's interesting that chapter 3 ends the same way chapter 2 did, with Ruth going back to Naomi's house to share what's happened. And Naomi wants all the details. Ruth, tell me what happened in verse 16. How did it go? Boaz sends Ruth home with six measures of barley, another astonishing amount to demonstrate his provision and his care because he doesn't want Ruth to go home empty, go home empty-handed to Naomi. Naomi, who so often said in chapter 1 how empty she was, Boaz is signaling, you don't need to be empty anymore. 
And you don't need Naomi to manipulate God's providence because things are taking shape and Naomi need only to trust in the Lord. And maybe you are Naomi and you need that lesson to trust and not try to take it all into your own hands. But chapter 3 ends with saying, Boaz won't rest until he settles the matter of redeeming this family. It began, chapter 1 began, with Naomi wanting Ruth to find rest, and now Boaz is going to be the means of seeking that very thing. So, here's the all-important question that you should always ask when you're working with the Bible. What, What in the world is this all about? What does this mean? And what is, what is the point? This is more than just the next episode of the saucy soap opera, isn't it? It's more than just the love story. How does this point us to the Lord Jesus? Well, when Boaz says in verse 12 that there is a redeemer nearer than I, that word is full of meaning. And uh, Lord willing, we'll try and unpack that especially on Christmas Eve. But notice what Boaz does. When he gives Ruth this promise, he says, as as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. He makes a promise, and to the promise, he gives a sign, right? I make you this promise, and to assure you of the promise, let me give you this, this barley as a sign. Take it home to Naomi. Let her have the confidence that she will no longer be empty. Ruth, I will provide for you. Here is this barley as a sign. You have a promise and a sign. And that is exactly how God's covenant of grace works. Do you recognize it throughout history? In every time when God gives a promise, he gives a sign to confirm the promise. As we're thinking about Christmas, think about the fact that the angels burst forth onto the shepherd's plain and they declared this promise, to you is born a Savior and if you want to know it to be sure, there's a sign for you. Go and see the child. And the Lord Jesus, when he extends himself to us in his covenant, he said, here's my body and here's my blood. It's a sign of this promise. And you, as a Christian believer, if you are a baptized Christian believer, you have received the sign of God's covenant of grace in your baptism. God has said to you, I will ever be your God until I die, which is never. And you will ever be my child. And God gives promises and then adds signs to the promises. And that's exactly what Boaz is doing. Ruth, I swear to you, I will redeem you. And here's the evidence so that you can be sure. And God does the very same thing. And why does he do it? God adds signs to his promises, not to make his promises more sure, but in order to make us more sure of his promises. Because you and I are a people who are so often feeble and weak in our faith. It's just a reality. And when you feel that weakness, and when you feel like your faith is stretched too thin, the point is not to be strong in and of yourself. The point is to look upon the sign of God's covenant and then trust him that he will do what he says he will do. I don't know if you read the book of Ruth from Naomi's perspective or Boaz's or Ruth or whomever. But the point of the story is, is that God is faithful to redeem his people. And when they doubt, and we do, 
He gives to us the sign of the promise that we can look upon it and not doubt, but rather trust him. What do you need to trust God for today? What is it that you are fearful about? What is it that burdens you with anxiety and keeps you up at night? God is saying to you, I've given myself to you and have given you the sign that it's true. And all you must do is believe it. And by grace, may we do so. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in your faithfulness to us, that you keep us and you bless us and you swear to redeem us by the blood of your Son. And so, Lord, we ask that both for every heart and for every family, uh, that you would be our God, that you would reign over us, and that as our everlasting God and King, we would delight to be your people. Lord, you have sworn that you will redeem us, and so surely you have in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.